0: 19 to start us out this morning. Luke 23 and John 19 to start us out. Let's do the smart thing and why don't we pray. Father God, wisdom and guidance as we get ready to go into this. This word means nothing without your spirit guiding and teaching, Lord. And we pray that you would teach and we would listen. In your name, Amen. Continuing our study here through the book of Luke, if you weren't with us the last couple of weeks, we studied out the trials of Jesus a few weeks ago, and last week was Christ on the cross. And we left off here in Luke 23, right at the end of verse 49, with Christ dying on the cross. So we're going to pick it up this morning here, and Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up chapter 23 and get into the first half of 24. Some great stuff here, about Christ being buried, but most importantly about the tomb being empty cannot stress to you the importance of the tomb being empty. But with that being said, let's jump into this. Where we left off last week, Christ has just died on the cross. Verse 50, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before That day was the preparation the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. We're introduced here to Joseph of Arimathea, a man that asked for the body of Jesus, But a little bit more detail is needed about him. If we only study it out here in Luke 23, we're missing some key details. That's why I want you to go to John 19. Look at the count of John. A little bit more detail here given. John 19, verse 38. John 19, verse 38. It says, After this Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... For fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate came and gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. Joseph was a secret disciple. Now, when you first hear that, it sounds kind of cool. Secret disciple. This is not a good secret disciple. He was had his faith was in secret because it comes right out and says in verse 38, For fear of the Jews. And they were introduced to another person. Verse 39, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury... Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. The Jews did not embalm, and so what they did is they would take these cloths and then wrap the body, and in between the layers of the cloth they would place spices and herbs to help with the smell as the body would be decomposing. But... We're introduced to Joseph, and we're introduced to Nicodemus. Joseph, the secret disciple, verse 38, Nicodemus, the man that came at night. Now, if you remember Nicodemus, it was back in John 3. He came to Jesus, and he asked this question. He butters him up. Jesus, we know that you're a great, wonderful teacher, etc., etc. Only the things of God could come through you. Jesus basically ignores everything he says. He comes right on verse 3 and says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Let's just get right to the point, Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus came at night. I heard one pastor tell me that Nicodemus came at night because it was really hot during the day and they wanted the cooler weather. No, I don't think Nicodemus wanted to be seen. Came at night. Joseph, the secret disciple. Now, it's easy to pick on them. Secret disciples coming at night. Why? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're ashamed to call ourselves Christians. We all have had moments where we're afraid to take a stand for something. I remember when I first got saved, I had no fear in any way whatsoever of spreading the gospel. I got saved. It was new. It was exciting. It was fun. Anybody I met would get a chance to share Christ with, even if they didn't want to hear about Christ. I made sure they heard about Christ. After I walked with the Lord for a while, I started thinking about things, about burning bridges. And I have to work with these people and deal with these people for a while, so I should probably tone it down. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I don't have to push it so much. So what happens is this fervor and this excitement... Now, we may say it was replaced with wisdom, but I look at my own heart and I started to realize there was times where I just didn't really want to be as open as I could about Jesus. Think of these passages. You don't have to turn there, but just write them down. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed of the gospel. He also wrote in 2 Timothy eight, Not to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Are you afraid to take a stand? Are you afraid to be open about who you are and your beliefs in the Lord? Joseph and Nicodemus, by them coming and asking for the body of Jesus, they are taking a huge public stance. This man, Jesus, was just crucified because he was hated and they wanted him dead. So for Joseph and Nicodemus to come out and say, we want this body to bury properly and respectively, that probably ruined them publicly. Joseph, we know, was a man that was on the council. He dissented to Jesus. Now, we could pick on him and say, well, you dissented. Why didn't you take a bigger stand and say, no, Nicodemus was a Jewish leader. Why did he come at night? We know, according to John 7, that Nicodemus started asking a few questions, basically saying, okay, come on, Jews, do we really need to put this man to death? We could sit here and pick on these guys and say, no, make a bigger stand, a stronger stand. Problem is, we've all been in that position before. We've all been in that position of where we don't say as much as we should. We don't say it as strong as we should. Why? Just like it says, out of fear. Fear. I've had people come up to me before and say, You don't understand, Pastor. I have to work with these people for the next 10, 20 years. I'm not going to burn any bridges with them. You don't understand. I'm not going to say anything. I have to live with this person. We are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, I find this very interesting, though. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Sometimes we're the secret disciple. Sometimes we don't take as strong a stand as we could. Sometimes we're afraid to admit where we stand with the Lord. Sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes it's out of being mocked. Sometimes it's out of shame. Sometimes I'm in a public group, and there's other Christians that claim to be Christians... And they're leading the conversation. And they're saying things and acting a certain way. And it's not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, I'm ashamed of other Christians. And I hear them sometimes like, don't group me into that group. But here's the interesting thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he, meaning Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to claim you. (coughs) Think about that for a second. We're afraid to sometimes take a stand. We're afraid to sometimes stand up for the truth and claim to be Christians. Jesus is not ashamed to call me a brother. Some of you may have come in with the past, and if people knew what you have done, what you have said, what you have acted like, you'd be ashamed. Jesus knows every detail of your life. He's not ashamed to call you his brother. That's the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed of me. I know my thoughts. I know my actions. I know my despicable deeds. I know the words that come out of my mouth. I know how absolutely horrible and nasty I am. And Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call James my brother because he accepted me. That's an amazing thing. And to go one step further, stay in the book of Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews 11. If you look in Hebrews 11, verse 16. But now they deserve a better, excuse me, now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we're afraid, fearful, ashamed to call God our God. But He is never ashamed to call me His God. Think about that. Joseph Nicodemus... Secret disciples came by night, afraid to take a stand, but they ended up making a stand. They took a stand for Christ. What caused them to all of a sudden come out of the darkness and say, we want this body? We don't know for sure. I think what impacted them was Christ on the cross. When you fully understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, you can't keep quiet about what he's done. When you fully understand what Jesus went through on the cross... How are we supposed to remain silent? How can we not say, this is my God, this is my Savior? God's not afraid to call me his brethren. God's not afraid to call me his God. Lord, help us to not be ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Help, Lord, help us to not allow our past to shame us from being bold and proclaiming Christ. I hear this all the time where people come and say, I really want to share the Lord with somebody, but they know what I was like. Okay, I'm not great at the English language, but you just use past tense. What you were like. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let them see the new you. And if they want to bring up the past, let them bring up the past. Because as you walk in Christ in the newness of life, they will see the new you. We don't have to walk in shame because Jesus claimed me from the cross. And since he claimed me, I can walk in power and strength through the Holy Spirit of what he's done. Joseph, Nicodemus, it's really easy to pick on them. Secret disciples coming by night. Nah, they took a stand. When the push came to shove, they took a stand. Should they have made a stand earlier? Sure, it would always be great. But when they took a stand, it was a public, bold proclamation of they wanted Christ. With me knowing this information, I hope this would encourage us and all that we say and all that we do to not be ashamed of the gospel. To want and desire that. We left last Sunday afternoon right after church. We had a pastor's conference over in Indiana. So we left right after church Sunday. Got back Wednesday afternoon. And you're just surrounded at this pastor's conference with everything Christ-like. I mean, just everything is Christ-like. Even the names of the kids are these funky Old Testament Bible names. Everything is just with the Lord. And so it's difficult to come back to what I call the real world sometimes. Especially to come back on a Wednesday and have to teach... Wednesday night the Wednesday night is the most ungodly people I've ever seen in my life and I have to come back to them so we're at the pastor's conference and you're just feeling pumped and you're excited and you just want to do and be used by the Lord in all ways and all things but I have to backtrack a little bit before we took off on Sunday Dawn had the opportunity to come in and sit and hear me teach now she finally got a chance to be able to leave our, our youngest and she got a chance to come in and hear the message and that's kind of rare So she came in and I asked her afterwards, hey, I saw you come in for church, what did you think? She goes, it was good. I said, well, thanks. She goes, but you need to get a haircut. And I said, why? She goes, you look shaggy. She goes, if I have to stare at you for 45 minutes, she goes, I want you to get a haircut. Okay, no big deal. So we leave to go to the pastor's conference. Monday, we're driving through Indiana, this little town in Indiana where the pastor's conference is at, and she's writing down the phone numbers of hair salons. I said, what are you doing? She goes, you're going to get a haircut. I said, can't I just wait till I get back from Pastor's Conference? No, we're going to get a haircut while we are here. So I spent Monday calling these hair salons, and I made an appointment. So I'm going to go get my hair cut in Hartford City, Indiana, at this little hair salon. So I go on Tuesday, Now I take the two oldest boys with me. So I thought, well, okay, we'll take the two oldest boys, so I go into this hair salon. And one of the things we always do before we ever go anywhere is we always pray, Lord, keep us safe as we travel, but Lord, give us ministry opportunities. But give us an opportunity to, to shine for the Lord. Because you know what? I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul wrote, I'm guilty of the blood of no man. Lord, I want to say the same thing. Whenever given an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, I want to do. So we get there, and I walk into the hair salon. It's just me and Delena that's going to cut my hair and the boys. And I thought, this is it, Lord. An opportunity. This is what we pray for, one-on-one. So I sit down in the chair, and I start talking to Delena. So, now the way I kind of do it is I'm like just asking questions. You know, what's Hartford City like? How long have you been here? And all this other type of stuff. So we're making all this type of small talk. And just everything. She goes, what are you in town for? And I'm in town for a pastor's conference. Okay. So I even dropped the P word, which I don't like to say too often. I'm a pastor. Hoping that would go. Nope, nothing really came out of that. Talked about the conference a little bit more. Just things. Pastor, where are you a pastor at? Nothing. So we talk, Get the haircut done. We leave. My second son, Judah, goes... Why were you talking to her so much? Why were you asking so many questions? So I said, because I was hoping the Lord would open the door to get a chance to share with her. To see if she's a Christian. To see if she's saved. Judah goes, well, why didn't you just ask her then? Her name is Delena. She's been married 27 years. She's owned the shop for 17 years. She has a daughter that's 24 that works in Leo, Indiana as a teacher. She's getting married in a few months. She hates doing up hairstyles for proms and weddings and stuff. She absolutely hates it. Her husband, Calroy, was talking to her, and she has a bill asked to pay. Her child is a sophomore in high school. I know everything about her. We're going to exchange Christmas cards. I don't know if she's saved. But I know everything else. Now, was I ashamed of the gospel? No, I wasn't ashamed of the gospel. But in matters of heaven and hell, I look back and I I probably could have said more. Why didn't I? Oh, the Lord, it just wasn't the right time. I've been a pastor for 13 years, I've been saved for 20 years, and I've come to this conclusion that it's never the right time. In fact, the time I think it's the right time never actually works out the way I think it's going to work out. It's the times where I don't think it's the right time That the Lord says it's the right time. And then God and I have this debate, argument for so long that the time passes. Because I'm saying, Lord, are you sure? It's not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, but sometimes I'm afraid of how I will be perceived. I'm afraid of how it will come across. I'm afraid of bridges being burned. I'm afraid of relationships being strained. Joseph and Nicodemus went and said, We want this man's body. The body that everybody just yelled, crucify, crucify, that the disciples were so scared that they fled. Joseph and Nicodemus gave up their position as Jewish leaders and in the public to say, we want to bury this man Jesus. Yeah, he was a secret disciple. Yeah, Nicodemus came to him at night. But there came a time and a place where they said, the cross of Christ is that important that we're going to take a stand for this. And they were not ashamed. I look at the verses in Hebrews where Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. God is not ashamed to call me his God. Lord, help me to take a stand when you lead and guide me to do that. We can learn a lot from Joseph and Nicodemus on taking a stand. Now, we're going to flip gears here real quick, but we have to go back and hit a couple things. Look in Luke 23 one more time. It says in verse 53 that they wrapped Jesus in linen. And it says in John 19 that Nicodemus brought myrrh with him. Those two words, linen and myrrh. Now, this is what's kind of interesting. This word linen should ring a bell. In Leviticus 16, there's something called the Day of Atonement. One day a year, the Jews went into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. They went to the Holy of Holies, and they offered a sacrifice, sprinkled blood, and this sacrifice covered the sins of Israel for an entire year. The holiest day in the Jews. One man, high priest, went in, contact with God, presence of God, offered up that sacrifice. But here's the catch. It was the high priest that did it. And according to Leviticus 16, he wore linen when he went in to do it. Now, if you ever study out the Old Testament, the high priest clothes, I don't know what the Old Testament Hebrew word would be, but in English today we'd say they were pretty flashy. They weren't low-key by any means. He would put linen on to go do this, to show a humbleness, to show a commonness to do this. One day a year, isn't it fascinating that Jesus was buried in linen? What the high priest wore on the day of atonement to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. That word atonement rang a bell with me I started looking it up. In First John 2 and also in 1 John 4, Jesus atoned for our sins. Jesus is our high priest that took care of the sacrifice on the day of atonement for us. He wore linen at his death to show him being the priest that offered the sacrifice for our sins. The myrrh, myrrh probably rings a bell because myrrh is one of the things that the wise men brought Jesus when he was born. Myrrh is a spice used in burial for death. Now, in just a few weeks, hard to believe we're going to be celebrating Christmas. And Christmas is going to be this great celebration of Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, and this beautiful little baby. And the wise men are coming and they're going to be laying their gifts down at Christ what we tend to forget at Christmas, Christmas is the first day of a 33-year journey that ends up at the cross. That's the purpose of Christmas. The purpose of Christmas is day one of a countdown to Jesus' death. Kind of takes away the luster of Christmas a little bit, but that's what it is. That's why the wise men brought myrrh. They understood. They knew. This is one day closer to the death of Jesus. Now, That takes away a little bit of the fun, but yet it also says, Lord, you love us. The most loving act God could do was come down in the form of a man at Christmas to say, I will take care of this sin problem. And 33 years later, I will pay the price. Which then takes us up to Luke 24. Jesus in the tomb, the body wrapped... Verse 1 of Luke 24. And Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, we've taught over this so many times. Anytime we do sunrise service or Easter, we always go back to the gospel accounts. And there's always these points that we bring out. And we've heard them many times before, but they're important to be mentioned. Verse 1, they're coming to the tomb. They're bringing spices. Why? They're expecting to find a dead body. This is not a party. Hey guys, this is the day that he's going to rise. Let's get there really early. See if we can see it happen. They're coming in sorrow and weeping and mourning with spices because they were expecting to find a dead body. And when they got there, they didn't find the body. So verse 4, they were greatly perplexed. They didn't understand what was going on. Have you not ever been greatly perplexed in your walk with the Lord? You expected something, and God did something completely, totally different. They're going to see a dead body, and the tomb is now completely empty. Verse 5, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Verse 8, They remembered his words. I went back and I looked at verse 7, this idea of Jesus being dead, uh, dying, and being crucified. He mentions this at least three times in the Gospel here in Luke. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody and you just keep telling them something and telling them something and telling them something and they just they don't hear it? Don and I have been married seventeen years and I've come to the conclusion we still don't know how to communicate to each other in any way whatsoever. I, I had an appointment coming up, so I told her a couple weeks ago I got this appointment coming up on this day. I said okay. I told her again another time I got an appointment coming up on this day. Okay. I told her yesterday don't forget I got this appointment. Her words were, "What appointment?" We've talked about this for a couple of weeks. I sometimes have conversations with my children and I'm telling them something. I know I'm speaking very clearly and they don't understand the word I'm saying. And I've had it the flip side too. People have told me something and I don't hear it. Verse 8, they finally remembered his words. Now, this is actually encouraging to me because God is patient with me. I've talked through the book of Luke. I think this is the third time and every time I teach through it, I, I get something new. There's passages that I've read 10, 20, 30 times in my Christian walk with the Lord. And I'll read that psalm again. It's like, wow, Lord, I get it. That is is pretty cool. If you're sharing with somebody and you're in a spiritually frustrating situation because they're not getting your words, have faith. Verse 8, one time it'll click. And they'll remember those words. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's my job to present the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's job to remind you of the truth. And so they will remember those words eventually. And God, it will all come together. And I've had those epiphany moments in my Christian walk where it's like, Wow, Lord, I get it. I've read that passage how many times, but I get it now. Thank you for your patience with me. i got to be honest. I'm the type of guy, it's very difficult for me to repeat stories. Something happens, I don't mind repeating it the first time. The second time, it's harder. third time... You're going to get the cliff note version. Because so sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, my fleshly patience, like it's like, man, we've talked about this before. Come on, we've covered this. I bet I can go back and look at my emails and texts and I've sent you that verse 20 times. Lord has patience with me. I need to have patience with other people too because there's times where people have to have patience with me. We don't get it all at the same time. We don't. The disciples didn't get it right away. But when they got it, it impacted them. Verse 9, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they did not believe them, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Look at this. This just sums it up perfectly. Verse 7, Jesus died for you. Verse 8, they got it. Verse 11, nonsense to other people. That's Christianity. When you share the gospel with somebody, they're either going to get it, or it's an idle tale of nonsense to them. That's really how, how simple it is. You may be right now really witnessing, and you're heart breaking for people and for ministries, and, and you're, you're pouring your life into a ministry or somebody or something, and there's just no fruit. They're taking it as idle tales and nonsense. See, Jesus is very divisive. You either get it or you don't. They got it in verse 8, other ones didn't. And I see people coming with such frustration, saying, I've told them, I've shared with them, I've spoke to them, why don't they get it? Their heart's not ready for it yet. Remember last week we talked about the thieves on the cross with Christ. They saw the exact same thing. They heard the exact same words. One thief got it, one didn't. One heart was prepared and ready, one heart wasn't. Just keep presenting the truth. If they think it's idle tales and nonsense, you just keep being a light and a witness in all that you say and do. Hopefully they'll get up to verse 8 one day and they'll get it. It will click. It's not our job to make them get it. It's our job to present the truth and then allow the Holy Spirit to work on their lives, and to work on their hearts. That's our job, to present it. See, this tomb is empty. That's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the world. I think we say this most every Easter. Any one of us could get on the cross and die for the sins of the world. Any one of us. But three days later, our body is still going to be in that tomb. I can get on a cross right now and say, I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world. But in three days later, my grave will still have a body in it. By the tomb being empty, it shows Jesus won. Death has been defeated. Sins have been taken care of. The sacrifice has been, has been accepted. It shows it all. And we got to remember that. But now we need to take that point and go one step further. At this pastor's conference. I love going to pastor's conference because I can steal good points. This pastor had a great point. And he brought up macro and microeconomics. Now I'm a finance major. I love macro and microeconomics. Don't worry, we're not actually going to talk about it. Highly simplified. Macro economics is the economics of the big picture, microeconomics is the economics of the little picture. But he talked about some Christians have macro and micro faith. He said macro faith. They see the big picture. Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. They get it. They understand it. They they get the idea of the tomb being empty. They get the idea of heaven is awaiting them and Jesus' blood has covered their sins. Macro-faith. But they don't have micro-faith on a day-to-day basis living in Him. I run into this all the time. First story will be about you. I'll pick on you, then I'll pick on me. People will come in, And they'll be completely flattened by something in life. They'll have a big problem at work, a big problem at home. And they are just completely struck down by this. And their faith is shattered. And I'll ask them, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Oh yeah. Do you believe that that he rose the third day? You bet. Do you believe that, that you have heaven waiting for you? You bet. I do believe all that. But yet you don't believe God can help you in this little problem at work tomorrow. So let me get this straight, and I'll pick on him a little bit, in love. I'll say, so you believe this. There's a God in heaven that wanted to save sinful mankind. So he became a man, and he picked a virgin to have a baby. So the virgin had a baby, and this baby then lived for 33 years on this earth, and it grew into a man, and this man could raise the dead, cast out demons, change water into wine, heal the sick. And this man has also created the world in six days. This man died a horrible death on the cross, three days later I mean, he was dead for three days, three days later rose and then ascended into heaven forty days later and is now at the right hand of God and he also sent down the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And you believe all that? Yes. But what about tomorrow at work? Oh, tomorrow's going to be awful. It's going to be the worst day ever. God's not going to be able to get me through it. you got macro faith but where's your micro faith? you got the big picture. If you can believe the big picture you can believe the little tiny details of this life that do not compare to eternity. Moses can part the Red Sea and Jonah can live in a fish for three days. But tomorrow's going to be awful. Macro-faith versus micro-faith. We need to have both. And I see Christians that will never doubt Jesus as God and salvation, but their day-to-day walk with Christ is a complete, utter train wreck. Because they don't have the micro faith of getting through daily things with their Savior. We all do this. I had a situation recently. Just actually it was just uh, Friday. Just happened Friday. I was looking for a piece of paper. It was a very important piece of paper. It was a piece of paper that we needed out here at church. And I'm the most unorganized person you've ever met. And I was very proud of myself with this piece of paper. I I kept this piece of paper. I knew what this piece of paper was. It had very important information we needed out here at church. And I had it. So Nancy calls me. Says, hey, I need this piece of paper. It has this amount on it that we need for the church. And I said, no problem. I got that piece of paper. Felt so proud of myself. I go to Dawn. Dawn, where's this piece of paper at? That uh, I set aside. She goes, this piece of paper? And I said, no, not that piece of paper, that piece of paper. She goes, oh, I recycled that, I think. Yeah, she's awful gosh like, I said, I, she goes, "No, I don't think I recycled it." So she goes, so we start looking at this piece of paper. I called Nancy I told Nancy, I said, I'm going to get this piece of paper back to you." Now you have to know Nancy a little bit. When she gets angry, she gets very guttural, she sounds very demonic, and she gets scary. and you don't want to mess with Nancy. So I'm walking in fear of Nancy. You know who's worse than Nancy? Rose is worse than Nancy. So the two women that take care of the finances of the church need this piece of paper. I can't find this piece of paper. So guess what happened to James' faith? I'm walking around the house getting gruff. Where's that piece of paper? I knew I had that piece of paper. I set it down someplace. I I got flashlights out in the van. I'm going through the recycling. I'm going through trash cans. The boys are coming up to me saying, Dad, there's flying unicorns outside. And I said, I don't care. We've got to find this piece of paper. My macro faith never faltered. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. My micro faith was completely, utterly gone. Gone. So I tried to catch myself, stop, Lord, help me find this piece of paper, and etc. And at the 8.30 service, everybody came up to me afterwards and said, did you find the piece of paper? And no, I did not find the piece of paper. My micro faith disappeared. And you know what? I can pick on myself, and I can pick on you. I see it happen with you guys just like it happens with me. You have a moment of where your micro faith just disappears. My life is horrible, my life is awful, Neverthing ever works out for me and this is just this always happens to me. But yet you believe Jesus was born of a virgin and he died and he healed people. Micro versus macro faith. The tomb is empty. That's big. That's huge. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Sins have been... The price has been paid. We can walk in newness of life. If you believe that, whatever you face today, tomorrow, this week, or this month is micro compared to that. Lord, help us to have the big picture faith, but also the little picture faith, and the day-to-day routines of life. Just a quick review of this. Joseph and Nicodemus knew of the public ministry for Jesus for three years, but it took the cross for them to really stand up for what they believed in. You may have people that you have prayed for for three weeks, three months, three years, three decades. Don't give up on them. Keep praying. Joseph and Nicodemus took a stand. I don't know where you're at with taking a stand for the Lord, but I just encourage you, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brethren. He knows you. Don't go to the tomb looking for a body. That will find you and leave you greatly perplexed and sad. Go to the tomb expecting it to be empty because Jesus has risen from the dead. That encourages my macro big picture faith, but it also shows me on my day-to-day things the tomb is empty. I do good at this right around Easter. A little catchphrase, the tomb is empty. People will come up and they'll have a problem. They'll say, hey, the tomb is empty. I'll say it myself. And then basically about two, three weeks after Easter, I forget that. Middle of October, I'm going to remind myself of that. The tomb is empty. No matter what I face, today or tomorrow, the tomb is empty. And let's keep the big picture on that. Keep the big picture on all things. Marvin, come forward here for the final